This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Ishmael Kawaja. Hello, hope you're keeping well on Thursday, the 20th of October. Thanks for downloading today's podcast. Well, we start with the political turmoil in Downing Street. After just 44 days in the job, Liz Truss has resigned as Prime Minister, making her premiership the shortest in British history. This was her statement outside number 10. I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent. And our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This morning I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. This will ensure that we remain on a path to deliver our fiscal plans and maintain our country's economic stability and national security. I will remain as Prime Minister until a successor has been chosen. Thank you. Her short term has been chaotic, to say the least, with the pound stumbling to historic lows after a disastrous mini-budget by Quasi Kwarteng. She then appointed Jeremy Hunt, who U-turned on most of her policies. Our political editor, Paul Francis, joins me now. Just talk us through how we got here and what's set to happen next. Well, just 24 hours after telling MPs that she was a fighter and not a quitter, Liz Truss has bowed to the inevitable and decided she is a quitter and not a fighter. Just five weeks into her premiership and she has been forced out of office in quite extraordinary circumstances. It all started with that misjudged mini-budget and uh, tax giveaway promises, which undoubtedly looked attractive on the surface, but closer scrutiny revealed that it wasn't such a giveaway as many people thought. And, of course, the city and the big banks didn't buy into this either. And I think one of the main concerns that MPs had about this mini-budget was that it was going to cost in the region of £45 billion and there was a big black hole in the government's spreadsheet. So another leadership battle is on the cards and this time it will be completed within one week next week when the Parliamentary Party, that's all the Conservative MPs elected to the Commons, will have a vote 
on who they want to see. Now, early favourites, at least in terms of uh, standing in the election, are Rishi Sunak, the rival contender for the top job against Liz Truss. So we can expect him to throw his hat into the ring. Then we could see uh, Penny Mordaunt uh, step in. She was uh, amongst the favourites in the earlier leadership race and uh, would fancy her chances uh, a second time round. I think the wider issue is for the Conservatives that the party is split, basically, and it is still overshadowed by Brexit. Now, there are some people who think that the Conservatives uh, perhaps could do with a spell out of power now, the one thing that voters like you and me uh, might think is why is there not going to be a general election? And it's a fair point. Um, but I don't see any chance of that happening, even if the new party leader suggests that a poll might be a good idea and I don't think anyone within the Conservative Party currently thinks a general election is a good way forward. Labour leader Sakir Starmer says the public deserves a proper say on the country's future and has called for an immediate general election. Lib Dem leader Ed Davey and the SNP's Nicola Sturgeon are making the same demand. Kent Online reports. Now you'll hear about our undercover investigation into illegal vapes shortly, but just before that, the head of East Kent Hospitals Trust has admitted more needs to be done to improve maternity care after a damning report into baby deaths. We told you yesterday an inquiries found at least 45 newborns might have survived if they had been looked after better at the QEQM in Margate and Ashford's William Harvey. The NHS Trust Chief Exec Tracy Fletcher has apologised for the failings. In the last few years, we have worked hard to improve our services and have invested to increase in the number of midwives and doctors, in staff training and in listening to and acting on feedback from the people who receive our care. She's promising to act on these new recommendations. Well, today we've been hearing the government's response to the findings of the Kirkup review. Health Minister Dr Caroline Jackson made this statement in the comments. I'm profoundly sorry to all the families affected. This should never have happened, and we will work tirelessly to put it right. Mr Speaker, with the report published just yesterday, I'm sure honourable members will understand our need to carefully consider all of its details. I will be reviewing all of the recommendations and will issue a full response once I've had time to consider them. But given the gravity of what the report reveals, I felt it was important to come to the House today and update colleagues on the steps we're already taking to improve maternity services in East Kent and across the country. Turning to the report itself, it is a litany of failure that makes for very difficult reading. It details failures of team working, failures of professionalism, failures of compassion, failures to listen, failures after safety incidents and, ultimately, a failure of leadership. The review heard about women and family members feeling patronised, ignored or told off. One woman hearing from a doctor, some parents just aren't supposed to have children. Some people felt they were unimportant or too much trouble. 
One woman reportedly was told by a staff member that they were sorry for her loss, but their baby was dead, and there were other babies who were living who still needed attending to. These kind of failures showed up at every level of patient care, with no discernible improvement over the whole time frame of the review. The trust failed to read the signals, and they missed every opportunity to put things right. Mr Speaker, these are difficult things to hear, and especially hard because I know so many of us have experienced for ourselves the brilliant care that NHS maternity services can offer. We must take nothing away from the hundreds of thousands of incredible people working day and night in maternity services across the country. Yet we cannot pretend that the story of East Kent is a one-off. Reviews from Morecambe Bay to Shrewsbury and Telford paint a more disturbing picture. While they may be some of the most extreme examples, and we must hope they are, they are certainly not isolated incidents. And colleagues will know that just last month, Donna Ockendon began her new independent review into maternity services at Nottingham University hospitals. We entrust the NHS with our care when we are at our most vulnerable. Everyone has the right to expect the same high quality care, no matter who they are or where they live. Mr Speaker, we are already taking a number of steps to improve the quality of maternity care in East Kent and across the country. An intensive programme of maternity support was put in place at East Kent's Hospitals University Trust in September 2019 overseen by NHS England, the Kent and Medway Integrated Care System and the Trust Board. And the Trust has been allocated a Maternity Improvement Advisor and an Obstetric Improvement Advisor. Mr Speaker, we will also continue to ensure the high standards at national level. Ashford MP Damien Green has described the report as a terrible read, particularly for the bereaved families who have gone through untold anguish. He had this exchange with the Minister. What makes me particularly angry is that this was going on for more than a decade under several different management regimes at the Trust. So can uh, the Minister give some reassurance to women in Ashford who are about to have a baby at the William Harvey that they will be treated safely and respectfully? And can she assure the House, looking further afield, that the terrible repeated examples of similar tragedies and scandals around the NHS are now at an end. I thank my honourable friend, right honourable friend, for his, for his question and I, and I know that he also shares the House's um, desire to ensure that such uh, events do not reoccur and to ensure that his constituents are safe. Um, he asked about how the, um, the failures over time and, and in fact there were signs uh, as early as 2010 that there were problems being raised at this trust and the failure is not so much as the, the need to, to find those problems but actually that they weren't, they weren't properly dealt with when they were found. Um, I have received assurances yesterday from the regional director of NHS England uh, that, uh, in the way I described uh, a few moments ago uh, and I will be meeting with, the, with her regularly to have updates to ensure that this um, process is not just um, uh, put in place but also followed through. Kent Online reports. An investigation has found illegal vapes being sold on one of Kent's busiest high streets. Our reporter Jack Dyson went undercover and discovered five retailers in Canterbury City Centre selling the disposable vapes for between 15 and 20 pounds. Even though they're banned in this country, some stores were openly displaying them in their windows. 
Well, Jack joins me now to tell us more. Firstly, can you explain what prompted your investigation and how you went about it? My investigation was prompted by by an email. We received an email from uh, an owner of a specialist vape shop or a couple of specialist vape shops in Folkestone and Ramsgate. Uh, he sent in the message to us following a story on Kent Online about uh, illegal disposable vapes being seized by trading standards from retailers across the county. And he was telling us that this problem was rife across the county. And we decided to see if that was true. Uh, He was saying that this is something that's commonly seen in high streets. And so we went to one of of Kent's busiest in Canterbury uh, to to see if he was right. Uh, During my investigation, I visited nine shops altogether Eight of them were uh, were mobile phone repair shops or computer repair shops that also sold e-cigarettes. They, they either advertised it in their shop signs or in their display windows. And uh, the other, uh, the uh, the remain uh, the remaining one was a specialist vape store. Um, when I visited that one um, straight away, staff told me when I asked for these illicit products that they were illegal and that they didn't stock them. And when I uh, introduced myself to them and told them I was a journalist, uh, they then said that this was uh, these products are readily available at other outlets around the place. And so uh, I visited the uh, eight mobile phone laptop repair shops and five of them were stocking these illegal disposable vapes. Can you explain the difference between a legal and illegal vape and what you are being offered? The MHRA states that a legal disposable vape has a maximum e-liquid capacity of two millilitres. And one of the best ways of seeing whether or not a disposable vape uh, complies to this rule is by looking at the number of puffs it offers. Um, Usually a, a a legal vape will offer somewhere in the region of 600 to 800 puffs at the very most. There are some exceptions which are slightly larger, but that tends that's the rule of thumb. These vapes I was able to buy, well, they offered 1,500 puffs, 3,500 puffs, and one even um, said that it could uh, give a user 9,000 puffs. And all of them had tank sizes that were far larger than the legal limit. And the reason why this is significant is that because they do have larger tank sizes, they haven't been tested by the MHRA, which means that regulators, health regulators in this country, haven't analysed them. And so technically, we don't know what's inside these products. And what do we know about where these products are coming from and how are they coming into Kent? These products, having spoken to people who are familiar with this field, with this industry, with this black market, they tell me that many of these products are made for the US market, which doesn't have the same rules as us on tank sizes and the like. And um, they're then illegally shipped in from overseas, either by air or by sea. And they're shipped in in such a way that um, they've evaded border force. And as a result, they then find find their way into, into the hands of suppliers and they then sell them to shops. And Trading Standards even told me that there are some sellers who almost go door to door 
to shops with these illegal products. I found it during my investigation incredibly easy um, to get my hands on these uh, on these vapes. Um, three of the shops that I visited actually advertised them in their display windows fronting onto Canterbury High Street, while the others, uh, while at the others, I just simply walked in and asked for them. And uh, at one, um, they uh, brought out a tray that was underneath the counter, uh, filled with many of these products. And at others, uh, and at another, uh, one of the uh, one of the shop owners uh, was telling me about um, the high level of demand he has for them, and before offering me cut price deals on them because I'd never been to his shop before. Thanks for that, Jack. The UK Vaping Industry Association claims the black market trade is generating £100 million a year. Our findings have been handed over to trading standards. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. Our other top stories. Two men are due in court after a protest closed the QE2 bridge at the Dartford crossing for more than 36 hours. A 39-year-old from Islington and a 33-year-old who doesn't have a permanent address are charged with conspiracy to commit a public nuisance. The widow of a mum who took her own life following the death of her son says she feels completely lost and devastated. 46-year-old Marie O'Leary was found in Broomfield near Hearn Bay in July. The mum of three had previously campaigned to raise awareness of suicide and urge those with mental health troubles to speak out. A Canterbury woman who smashed a glass over her friend's head before trying to convince detectives he injured himself has avoided being sent to prison. It happened after Linda Chapman from Pomfret Road in Chartham had binged on rum in June 2019. A judge described the 55-year-old's actions as quite bizarre and gave her a curfew and five-year restraining order. Inspectors have branded a Maidstone care home inadequate after finding residents with broken bones, head injuries and at risk of choking. The CQC, who visited Ashley Gardens Care Centre in the summer, also revealed a high number of reported abuse allegations involving people not receiving their medicines as intended. While staff had also failed to make improvements agreed during the previous inspection in March, we've asked those running the home for a comment. Now, the Kent Online podcast been told how a Maidstone man saved his dad's life by performing CPR. Colin Harley had collapsed in his garage in Lewes and was found by his wife, who decided to ring their son Steve before 999. He's been chatting to our reporter Alex about what happened. My father had a, a cardiac event, um, so basically a heart attack. Um, I'm, I was lucky enough at the time to be working from home, and uh, I had a distress phone call from my mum. Um, I almost didn't answer it. Uh, luckily enough, I did. Um, and I don't live very far from my father anyway, uh, just down the street. So I knew something was wrong. So I ran down the street and my dad had just been out for a dog walk. And um, he came back and he managed to open the garage, get in the garage uh, and then effectively uh, collapsed. And I ran down there. He was um, he was quite clearly um, not with it, out of it. He was still... Um, palliatively breathing at that time so he he, he had some sort of um, response um, but I sort of knew at that time um, that something was obviously seriously wrong um, and uh, started the procedure uh, of CPR um, you know the old Dr ABC uh, rules um, and effectively um, started work while I chatted with my mum to, to, to phone for an ambulance and um, it was just that uh, initial start um and the time almost um that i managed to to do it and to start um 
we carried on CPR. I, I did about eight minutes, uh, eight, nine minutes um, before the ambulance crew actually arrived on scene and worked with them, obviously, to stabilise the situation. Um, but yeah, it was probably around oh, almost two or three minutes since he collapsed um, that luckily my mum had actually heard him um, fall um, that effectively the CPR had started. So it, it was that um, initial start, the, you know, the quick um, initiation of that and, and, and using what the, um, the ambulance service called the golden hour to obviously give them the, the best chance. Um, so I was very lucky in that case that um, A, I was here and B, that, you know, um, I could potentially perform it on my father. Um, and how did you, because obviously you had this sort of knowledge beforehand of CPR, yeah. where did you learn that and kind of what was your full sort of fault? I know kind of seeing your dad like that and going, oh, I need to do CPR. How did you know that that was what to do? So um, I've had various um, training over the years um, in various different capacities from the, you know, um, from the St. John's Ambulance to the British, uh, British Red Cross um, to the Scout Association um, at, as part of my work as a leader uh, and working with young children. Um, so over the years, obviously, um, I've had that various different types of training um, and I'm fortunate enough to have that. Um, it's something that you probably learn that you pretty much never want to have to use or never want to have to but when you're in that situation you you know it's it's nice to have that knowledge um and and that power almost to um to to, to do the best you can steve's now supporting the restart a heart campaign which is urging everyone to learn the skills to save a life elsewhere plans to put additional traveler caravans on greenbelt land near dartford have been rejected family that currently has accommodation on Eagle Farm in Wilmington had applied to put more accommodation there for grown-up children. They've appealed the council's decision and are waiting to hear the outcome. And finally, some more Tom Cruise news. The Hollywood A-lister's been back in Kent for a second day. He flew into Chatham on a private helicopter yesterday evening and is thought to be filming a new movie at the historic dockyard. We already know a giant lighting rig has been set up, but it's still not clear exactly what's being shot there. Well, that's all for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also now get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site by subscribing at kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.